0: This is the Icon Podcast, a community of trained readers reflecting Jesus with Michael Burns and Jason Alexander. I'm your host, Gianna Hearn, and my little co-host, Zariah Hearn, is on as well today. The gang is back together. We're going over Ephesians 1 and continuing in 15 through 23. But before we get there, Michael said he has a gang of stuff to talk about.
1: Well, I do have some stuff. It sounds like Zaza has some things, too, so we'll we'll certainly let her chime in whenever she wants to um she's so cute i wish we did a video thing just so that the audience could see her um that probably you know induce people to listen more and watch more but uh, (laughs) uh no so some news on the patreon i know we've been going back and forth a little bit we put up some episodes on uh, songs we shouldn't sing, which we will continue to do that. And we had a, we had announced a while ago that we were going to start a series on there called "It's Hard to Say" with Jason Alexander. And then we started to kick mm-hmm. around some. We we had almost too many ideas, and we we decided to shelf that actually for a little while. We're going to come back to that, but we started to record a series called "Do We Need the Church."
2: Oh and,
0: snap!
1: <laughs> yeah, so um, we're excited about that. the The first episode will be up on Patreon um, this week. It, by the time that you hear this episode, it might even be up already. I'm not exactly sure what days it's going to go up, but the first episode is is called "Why You Shouldn't Go to Church," and we're gonna we're gonna delve in. It's just Jason and I talking about real things about the church that a lot of people are asking right now like do we even need the church what is the church why church how church all of those sorts of things we're just gonna kind of in an informal way just have a conversation through those things and as we go our patreon supporters will have the opportunity not just to listen but also to uh, participate in that and help add some thoughts and questions as we go so Definitely look for that. If you're not a Patreon supporter, you got to go to uh, patreoncom backslash icon podcast and become a Patreon supporter to be able to listen to those episodes. Um, uh, another thing beyond the Patreon is, um, you know, we get letters and, and, feedback from time to time, and it's almost all really good and encouraging. But we had somebody uh, write this week, and I was reading it, and I thought it'd be good to just mention it because it was a really nice, lovely, long letter. But the, the thrust of it was, you know, sometimes when I hear you guys analyze scripture, I feel like I got to go to seminary or something to, to understand scripture. I feel like I need a degree to like, how could I possibly know all the things that you guys are, are pulling out of scripture and to that. And, and Jason, I don't know if you want to add to this at all, but I, I would say, um, no, you don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be an academic. And I, I think we try to say that a, a lot. Um, You don't even need to know all of the things that we pull out to be a faithful follower of Jesus. But we're also called to be a student of the word and to put in the work and study. And and one of the things is it's not just all on the individual. That's the, the way the Bible is written it really expects it for it to be a community of people working together in community and wrestling with that text and pulling the wisdom out of it for a lifetime. So it it will take some work and the bible says that about itself study to show yourselves approved. You you have to put in the work. And I'll also say that we're not hitting everything as we go through these passages. We're not trying to be an audio commentary. We're trying to offer a framework of, you know, kind of steps that you would want to go through in interpreting the Bible. Uh, but we're what we focus on and bring out is maybe some of that deeper stuff, some of that deeper cultural and historical and more obscure things textually that you might miss, that you might need help with. And so we're trying to be the part of the community that serves as that resource, as a supplement, not saying... This must be what you pull out of Scripture or you're a failed Christian. It's not that at all. We're trying to go to that other level for you to places that maybe not everybody would have the, the time or capacity to go to.
0: And I think that goes along with our motto, trained readers, reflecting Jesus. The idea is for us to continue training always. When you're an athlete, you you don't just stop training because you've arrived. You have to continue flexing your muscles, do all these different things. So, you know, for someone like me who feels like, oh, I just haven't arrived to where Jason and Michael are, you know, it's a continual training, even for Michael and Jason. Uh, We're all at different points. But the idea is let's train ourselves so that we can – be good stewards of God's word and understand God more.
1: Absolutely. And and you know we go through those four points of interpretation in our hermeneutic of expectancy the the reading glasses on the time machine take a selfie and kingdom come. And if if you've jumped in somewhere along the line and you're like, wait, what What are those four steps? That's where we encourage you to go back to episode 93 where we really walk through and explain those in more detail, explain why we do that as our framework. And then we've been following that in each episode. But if you haven't listened to episode 93, maybe we should remind people of that more often uh, to go back and you know hit that episode where we really start and explain that, uh, Jason. Anything to add to that?
2: Um, I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I understand that that uh, feeling. Um, I feel that honestly. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'll read I'll read books or attend lectures. Um, and I certainly felt that you know in the classroom. Uh, but I feel like that sometimes. I'll, you know, passages say I'm very familiar with. And I'll listen to someone whose life's work is the is that passage, and I'll be like, "Oh my goodness, I did! Did I did I know anything? <laughs> you know, sure. did, did did I get any of it right?" And so I I feel that I think underneath that is an assumption about the Bible, um. That we, yeah, that, that you, you, it's not going to have an impact on your life until you've mastered it. And I think growing comfortable with what is almost a bottomless pit in, mm-hmm. in Bible study, its it can be overwhelming. Um, and I think we imagine we're going to get our heads around it, and we hear people who have spent a lot of time with a particular passage talk about it, and we can tend to think, well, they got their heads around it, but how am I supposed to do that? And I think that that's just, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, at this stage of my life, I don't feel the need to answer that question. Like I, I, you, you got, you gotta, uh, be where you are and learn what you can. And, you know, not everything needs, a lot of stuff we talk about, you don't need to talk about. (laughs) Like (laughs) we, we do it because it's on our mind and like, you know, for some that's exciting, but for most it's not. For most you could leave it to the side and be totally fine.
1: Well, and I, I, think of you know John, uh, that that passage from thirteen to seventeen, where a couple times in there, John uh, Jesus tells the disciples on his last night before the crucifixion, uh, "There's plenty more I have to tell you, but I, but you I won't because you couldn't yeah. handle it right now." Yeah. And uh, I think it's that way with Bible study. Like the, the Spirit reveals things over time oh. as as we can handle it. We're always getting more and learning and and able to do more and better because if jesus if jesus had in, instead of when he met his disciples instead of saying just come follow me if he had dumped on them everything that their lives were going to look like and demand of them they would have run away screaming at the time they were you know it had yeah to well prophets
2: time. did that they ran away screaming they're like i can't handle sure that. yep Yep. right
1: yep and so it's 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 over time that we learn and we grow you know the, the we last, also- oh sorry go ahead
0: I was just say, we have to also remember that a large part of what we believe is not just to have knowledge. It's there's a whole faith element to this. So, you know, maybe not everyone has all the knowledge, but maybe someone has a lot more faith than another person has a lot of a lot of knowledge. So faith is a huge part of of our, our Christian lives as well. So don't get down on yourself, is all I'm saying.
2: Yeah. Agree. yeah do you know do you know I am, <clears throat> I'm a D minus student. Um like I barely made it out of high school. I I actually don't like to read. It's definitely not my go-to move. So I was like, Hey, I don't do believe it. Fun? I, it's true. Like I, I buy, I buy all these books behind me so that you think I'm smart. <laughs> I <laughs> don't read them. Um, but, but I, I, it's true though. I, That's I, not I, true. No, it, it's true. I, I am, I read as a discipline. I mean, it's rare that I come across a book like, I enjoy doing this. I, I, I do it. I don't know what drives me to do it. I probably need some therapy. Um, but but what, what I'm getting at is that it's not like um, the stuff that uh, we d- describe here can't be accessed. And maybe it's just a matter of making available more resources if you're a reader. But today you know the, the really frustrating thing for me is you don't even need to read like you can you can download podcasts and learn what s- some commentaries will do and so i think um if you really wanted to study the text at a careful level my point is you could um if you have the time and you're driven to do so uh, it, there's there's no market cornered here um if i can do it right. if i can do that anybody
1: can good point
0: And in the meantime, we'll try to help as much as we can, uh, because not everyone has that time. They might have a drive, but not the time. So today, back to our focus, Ephesians. We started a new book that we are going through. We're still in chapter one, and we're starting in verse 15, going through 23. Michael Burns, I call him up. (laughs) Yes. That was not proper English, but Michael has been selected to be our reader for the day.
1: I feel so privileged and honored. And I shall begin my reading with you wanna talk.
0: Oh she has some commentary as well.
1: <laughs> Zaza is reading in the original Hebrew.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's why we it. Jason, understand. how
1: is her pronunciation?
2: Yeah, spot on. <laughs>
0: that, you better that's say how, that, Jason. He knew sounds, I was gonna yeah. <laughs> No, Michael, go All ahead right, and take yes. us
1: and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way.
0: Wow. That was a lot for me. I just felt like, well, at the beginning of this, why don't I pray for people like this? You know, th- like... Yeah. I feel like my prayers are just so I don't want to say shallow, but I, I'm always racking my brain like, what else could I say for this person? Because I care so much about praying for them. But what else could I say? And I'm like, wow, this is a great example. Not that those are any of my reading glasses reading glasses on thoughts. But wow, just as you were reading, it hit me a little different. Jason, in the reading glasses on portion, what are you taking notice of today?
2: Um. Uh, I suppose what you you just said, like what what a great prayer, um, yeah. I mean, it's a really uh, he's aware of, of what the need is. It's still the need, so I I think I'd leave it at that. That's it's just a, a wonderful thing to ask God for.
0: It seems very simple for us to just say that, but it's so impactful. I think that's why we're both agreeing on that. Michael, obviously that can't be the only thing. But what are your thoughts in the reading glasses on section?
1: Well, I mean, there's there's uh, like any passage. There's there's so much here, and I, I, I think you know. Again, the more you stop, the more you look and pay attention to details, things might jump out at you. So, for instance, in verse 15, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. That seems to indicate for most scholars that Paul doesn't know all of these people. Uh, Even though he spent some time in Ephesus, we talked about last time this being having the earmarks of being more of a circular letter and going to all the churches in Asia Minor. And uh, Paul didn't plan all those churches. He doesn't know all of those people. And and then he says, he, he talks about their love for all God's people. That, that's kind of a clue to what he's going to bring up in in this letter. He's going to be talking about their unity, uh, their divisions, the fact that the, as we'll we'll get to in a minute, there is a force out there trying to divide them, and they they've got to be aware of this. And he's grateful that to this point they have loved all God's people. They've they've been who they're supposed to be, but there, there is a threat there, a threat, a very real threat that's coming. And so he continues this, this beautiful prayer, as you said, and it's, it's, um, you know, not as focused on Jesus as the verses three through 14, were. he's already done that. Now he's kind of turning his focus to, to the believers, to the, the churches. And, We'll we'll get into this in the time machine section, but I I don't think that you can read the section and not notice how many times he uses the word power and words associated with power that sort of lead into um, different aspects of power. And there's there's a real specific reason uh, why Paul is doing that. We'll talk about that in, in the time machine but he talks about god's power power in general power for us uh, power and resurrection and then power and dominion the the what you know i would call the powers and authorities or the, the rulers and principalities but these are all words around power and so one, one of the the central themes of ephesians is power uh, probably more than any other book, and and what we get the hint of going on here is there's some sort of dramatic conflict going on, that that there is power being exerted, uh, power over these rulers and authorities and powers and dominion that that's you know that's sort of might and conflict and kingdoms at, at each other. And uh, you know, enemies under feet, and all, all things under feet, and uh, all of this this stuff lets us know that well, this is an amazing prayer. It's a prayer that Paul wants them to like open your eyes to what's actually going on here. Look, look at the hills around you and see what is really at stake here. That that's that's kind of what I see as an opening salvo in that passage.
0: That's a good jumping point to go into the time machine. What's actually going on right now at this time period? Like, what would they be thinking when they hear these words about, I mean, I saw age to come, I saw a present being talked about. So what's happening right now? What would they have understood about power at this point?
1: Yeah, that's a a great question. Um, And I think I mentioned it last week, but and there's a number of, of sources, but one that if, if you really want to go into that at a, at a scholarly level, I think, is this book, Power and Magic, The Concept of Power in Ephesians by Clinton Arnold. Uh, not an easy read. And uh, you, if you want to really follow along with him, you have to know Greek or be ready to stop a lot and look up Greek words. <laughs> And because a a lot of it he just puts in Greek, he doesn't translate. Uh, But he really lays out in there, and I won't get into all the details, but um, power was a big deal in Asia Minor. It was a big part of their um, worldview and the way they viewed the pagan gods. Um, The most powerful ones had the most power. They were trying to get power from the gods. Um, one of the ways which we see becomes important is, um, if you knew the name of a God, you could have power over that God or demon or that divine being. Um, so there's an association with name and power. And so that's a, that's a huge part of their worldview is that there are, there are forces, there are spiritual forces that have power. Now, we have a little trouble embracing the the fullness of that worldview because we tend to separate the spiritual from the physical. And some of us are even almost borderline functional atheists when it comes to the spiritual. We believe in God, we believe in Jesus, but we really don't pay attention to the impact of the spiritual world. Well, in the first century, there wasn't the big divide the way we have it. And so they absolutely believed that spiritual had impact on the, the physical, on the material. There was sort of an inseparability there. And so what happened in the spiritual realm impacted them. And the powers that were at play in the spiritual realm would have an impact. And so Paul is is no question writing a, a direct counter to a worldview that would say, man, you know, look around the, the powers and authorities, they're, they're, they're really strong. They're, it's hard for us to escape them. We maybe, you know, maybe we do have to pay some, a, a little bit of allegiance to them. Can we, can we completely give up allegiance? I mean, we have to live, you know, and, and even the fact that they lived under this powerful Roman empire was evidence of how powerful the pagan gods were there. The, it was sort of one and the same. It was hard to separate the, the power of Rome from the power of the, the dark forces, the, you know, the powers and authorities and, and so on. And so, um, as they were maybe ostracized or pushed out, or they were small, or they were not supposed to seek power, and they didn't have influence, or even pers- when persecution comes, the temptation that worldview is to be like, well, maybe Jesus isn't that strong after all. Where's the evidence that he has any power? And so Paul is addressing that uh, for them: that that you're not weak, and when you're tempted to question God. Um, there is strength there. And he wants them to realize that Christ has defeated the might around them, both the seen and the unseen. And let me just point out a few things. And, and, you know, feel free to jump in here if uh, this is not making sense, or Jason, if you have anything to add, or G, if you have anything to add. But he says, notice in verse 19, now, this is after he's already mentioned a bunch of terms that were, were associated with power in the minds of first century people. His riches, his glorious inheritance, all that sort of stuff. Um, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, those, those, the, the Greek words behind incomparably and great are actually somewhat rare words. They don't appear in the in the Bible a lot, but both of them um, can be found in the magical papyri, the, the magical writings of Asia Minor, and in magical inscriptions from Ephesus. So these were really important words when it came to the gods, the divine, the gods of Rome, the powers and authorities. Um, and so Paul uses their words and says, actually, it is God who has this incomparably or unsurpassing great power for us who believe in Jesus. That power, and, he, and he, there's actually a couple different words he uses in this passage for power. So if you if you want to look that up and see some of the differences there, I won't take the time to go into all of those, but there is some significance there. That power is the same. As the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So what's the evidence that God has power? Well, he's defeated death. He's done what, what Rome can't do, what you know, the gods don't do. Nobody there's no evidence of that. So that that's an, a major, it's a major flex, as we would say today. That's a that's a huge flex. Um, what seemed like defeat, and 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6, Paul talks about this. It seems like defeat is actually God overturning that verdict, that he's powerless, that Jesus was powerless, that he was, he was defeated by death and power. He has the power, and he goes on and he says, in fact, it's far above all of these The the heaven he's in the heavenly realms he's ruling in that divine realm and it's far above the the rule the authority the power and dominion these are all terms for the powers and authorities as paul envisions them um he has the power over the powers and authorities he is in control um let me stop right there and say you know ask you guys if you have any questions or what you think of that or want to add to that, because there's, I, 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 do think it'd be helpful, even though we did it a little bit in Mark to go back and, and establish a little bit of the worldview of the powers and authorities and what that was. But I wanted to, um, give you guys a chance to, uh, say anything you need to say.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm less, less convinced that power is the number one, lens through which to view ephesians but i am very drawn to it and i mm-hmm. i think especially because
1: well and to be clear i'm not saying it's the number 1 it's one that i'm pulling out here in this passage but yeah, yeah no go it's ahead.
2: it's strong it's it's really strong um and you know one of the questions uh within paul's letters to um I don't want to say non-Jewish churches, because there's, there, there are a lot of Jewish people in his churches, but uh, he's writing to, to churches in Gentile territory. And the question is, how much of Israel's story and worldview did he imagine uh, these non-Jewish Christians needed? Because he he brings up that first sentence we read, and this, by the way, is now the third or fourth sentence. It's one long sentence as well. But again, he's yeah. he's moving from this thoroughly um, Hebrew scriptures fueled worldview to now talking about power, and so the yeah the Greco Roman world and its obsession with magic, even in Ephesus, right? Acts 19, one of the things that happened as Paul preached the gospel yeah. was a bonfire of spell books, right? Ma- magic yep. magic books being burned and relig- the religion being uh, changed. Um,
1: and you see the whole thing with the name and the sons of Skeva, and, uh-huh. you know, I know Same that thing. name yep. and that yep. name I know, yep. but yeah.
2: Yeah, but you know, the he- Hebrew Bible, in fact, I was just reading it this morning in um, in the book of Isaiah, in the first part, there's a huge section about the nations. And uh, at the end of this section, you, you learn that the thing which needs to be defeated, uh, the, 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 the thing which give, gives rise to the divisions uh, among the nations and the, the, the hostility is what he calls Leviathan. Uh, a, a twisting serpent um, that shows it's had a number of times in in the prophets, especially, um, or you know, but but the idea that the chaos in our world and on the political landscape, um, the the evil which we see in the world, the deception um, is beneath the surface in some sense, um, and the idea seems to be throughout scripture like god isn't first and foremost angry with human beings like he is but most of his his wrath is directed toward those powers that serpent that thing which has set his creation off balance um any more than like you know i heard it put recently even like um you know uh oh it was it was a story about um A guy was talking about how his, um, when he was a kid, he used to swim in a cooling lake at like a paper mill, which was like toxic water. And his parents, you know, were very clear, like, do not swim in this lake, um, or you'll, you know, you'll be in trouble. And they did, uh, swim in the lake. And he said, you know, my parents were more angry at the paper mill like, or imagine a parent that was more angry at his kids than at the paper mill, which created a lake that was so toxic that kids could easily go swim in. And I thought that's a great analogy. Like, that's what God is like. Like, he, his his focus is to take down the thing which causes that chaos among people and within people. And I think Ephesians is addressing uh, that, which is, which is thoroughly in line with with Paul as a Jew, it's not, it's not a left turn. So you said, I don't know how you phrase it, but this is, a, this is a worldview that's kind of evaporated in the, at least in the Western world, or it's never made its way over. Like we don't, we don't really think like this, but, uh, most cultures of this time did.
1: Yeah. We could use it. No, I love that. And, and, you know, Paul, as he, this is Paul opening the letter in many respects at the, near the beginning. And as he starts to wind down towards the end in chapter 6, verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And that's and kind of, uh, you know, the beginning and the end here uh, of Paul's thought pattern in Ephesians, which is, you know, these and kind of what you were talking about, these powers seem really strong they and they are dangerous but rest assured if you rest in the lord if you are in christ then you have what you need to overcome them god has defeated them and and here's how you access that that win in a sense
0: it's so interesting that paul would feel the need to describe the amount of power that God has or Jesus after the resurrection, like to have to impose that uh, upon people. To me, I mean, I, I never saw it in person, but I feel like if I lived during that age, wouldn't it have been so moving that you wouldn't have to be reminded? That's what you would think. But it's so interesting that that is one of the things that he's focusing on here to remind and make sure that they understand. To me, I'm like, What what else do you need to understand at that point?
1: Right. Well, no, that's a really good point. But look at at how much we struggle with some of these basic concepts. You know, um, our identity is in Christ and we don't need um, to be known or fame or establish an identity other than that. And yet the culture around us is so idolatrous uh, when it comes to celebrity that we actually start to copy that in the church. And we have church celebrities, yeah. You know, like uh, like Jason Alexander, um, <laughs> yeah, a, a huge celebrity in in the Christian world.
2: Well, I can't and, wait. I yeah, I've been. I want to keynote speak at a conference. I, I, that's my ambition in <laughs> life. So,
1: yeah, I, I joke because I know it's not Jason's thing, but we <laughs> yeah. we do that, right? Or uh, success. You know, our, our success is, is in being known by God, and yet the culture around us is so obsessed with success that we can feel a pressure to it. We have Christians walking around going, am I a success or not? Did I make it in life? Am I successful in my career? Am I successful in my reputation? And so we can struggle with some of these things and need to be reminded of it. And And this is Paul addressing something that they struggled with. And, and the, I guess the, the strength of the powers and authorities is it's not just individual sin. It is the powers and authorities work in the realm of systems and uh, structures. And uh, in fact, let me, I love this quote. Let me read this. This comes from um, the drama of Ephesians from uh, Timothy Gombas. And he says, Ephesians, therefore, is also a polemic in which Paul asserts the triumph of God in Christ over the powers that rule the present evil age and explains the manner in which the people of God are to inhabit this victorious drama, letting it orient and shape their lives together as a community. When they do this, when the people of God play their roles faithfully as the spirit empowered body of Christ on earth, they participate and they participate in and perform God's polemic. Through his people, God is asserting and defending his own sovereign victory over the forces that are seeking to destroy his good creation and thwart his purposes of redeeming those aspects of creation that are broken and enslaved to Satan, sin, and death. And Let's back up just a minute here and talk about the the powers and authorities. Um, The Bible mentions them a lot, but not maybe always in the way that we would want. As soon as we start talking about the powers and authorities, people start having questions like, well, what exactly are they? Who are they? How do they operate? From where did they come? What do they look like? I want to know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we we want to know those things, and the Bible is fairly resistant in going. No, I'm not going to answer those questions. Uh, I don't know that we could even understand if it tried to answer them, but it it's fairly shadowy. Where do they come from? Don't know. How do they operate? Do they, right, do exactly they know? know?
2: Do do these writers know? I mean, like I do think, the writers. I think know they're wrestling even. with it personally. Like when. When you see how they're trying to get at describing some of th- this reality, they come up short. Um, we're, we're talking about uh, something that's beyond uh, human testing and proving and, you know, like figuring out and categorizing. And I think that's why Paul prays rather than says, you know, we need to study this out. <laughs> like you you need
1: protection. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so, what we get in the Old Testament is almost drive by references to the powers and authorities here and there. They're there, they're significant, they're at work, um, and that's about it. And then, and, and, and you know, let me let me point out just a couple of these references in Psalm eighty nine. Uh, verse five, it says, the heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too, in the assembly of the holy ones for who in the skies above can compare with the Lord. Who is the, like the Lord among the heavenly beings in the council of the holy ones? God is greatly feared. He's more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. And so the picture we get in the Old Testament is these other divine beings that God has created. Um, They they operate in this heavenly realm. They are the divine council, But some of them uh, rebelled against God, and and some of them began to try to thwart God's purposes. And it seems that God um, made these divine beings to help organize and usher the nations in unity towards God. But they rebelled and started to do the exact opposite. And so, for example, in Psalm 82, it says God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods or these divine beings. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of wicked. The gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. And so there's this idea that they are working against the nations in unity now. They are bringing division and inequity and injustice instead of ushering people towards image-bearing and towards God's justice. And they work so parallel with the regular kings and rulers and powers and authorities on earth that it's sometimes hard to distinguish um, one from the other. You know, was that the powers and authorities or was that just the king or was he doing the work of the powers and authorities? And, And that can be difficult to distinguish so much so that in Isaiah 24, verse 21, it says, in that day, the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. They will be herded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon. They will be shut up in prison and be punished after many days. And there, there are a bunch of other uh, y- you know, Old Testament references. We see some in Deuteronomy. We see some in uh, references in Job, uh, Daniel, to these members of the divine realm, these powers and authorities uh, working. And then in the intertestamental period, the writings that aren't biblical, but between the Old Testament and the New Testament, man, Jason, they they went really nuts with uh, details on the demonic realm and the divine uh, council and all kinds of wild speculations and names and ranks and how they work and and all of this sort of speculation that the New Testament then resists. It keeps the worldview of the powers and authorities from the Old Testament, but it never gets into this, you know, we want to know who they are, how they work, what they do. We don't see that in the New Testament. Um, What we do see is, again, passing references. Verse uh, Colossians 1.16, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all have been created through him and for him, both the visible powers and authorities and the invisible powers and authorities. And again, there's that overlap. How do they work together? We don't know. But what Paul does is he, he doesn't encourage us to try to answer those questions. He simply says, when you see injustice. at at a large scale when you see systemic sin when you see cultures organizations drifting from god's purposes you know you've seen the work of the powers and authorities and it's our job to fight against the the impact that they have not against the powers and authorities themselves
0: i think it's so interesting the points that you've made um i mean You know, I question, and I wonder, what would be the purpose of not giving us the information? Jason made a good point of, you know, maybe these writers really didn't fully understand everything themselves in that way. That makes sense. Um, But let's say, you know, there's so much that we could have known from God. And so the, the things that he has chosen to be allowed in scripture for us to know, I always ask myself, okay, why was this important for us to know? And so there's obviously a recognition of the powers and authorities and everything that is unseen. So do you think that it's, we should take note of it? And as you just said, um, focus more on the effects that it has, or what, what should we be taking from the noting of the powers that be?
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's really good. And, and Jason jump in here. Um, but I'll give you a really bad analogy. Maybe it'll help a little bit. Maybe it won't be as bad as uh, I'm I'm thinking here. But imagine, gee, you announce basketball games, right? So imagine you're announcing a basketball game and you you hear a coach on the sideline at a timeout telling his team, hey, when this guy comes to this spot on the floor, watch out for this you know that this is what's coming next. When this guy runs here, he's going to set a screen. This guy's going to come across the lane. He's going to flash, hit him hit him with the pass. Uh, he's going to hit him with the pass. You've got to cut that off. You've got to step in front of that not let that happen. That would not be the time for the players to go, hey, coach, when was that player drafted? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and who first came up with that play? And, you know, start asking all these details that might be interesting, but in the moment of the battle, you just got to stop that play.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so I think that's some of it is, you know, things we've already said. Maybe the writers didn't know exactly, uh, you know, the spirit hadn't revealed to them all those details. Uh, But maybe in in the midst of the battle, we got to worry about what we can worry about. The powers and authorities themselves, that's outside of our pay grade. That's that's not for us to worry about. We don't need to know those details. We just need to know that they're there. They influence cultures and societies and governments, but what we can do is be a new creation. Combat their influence, not let it affect us. Show people that they're in Christ, they have been defeated, and there is a different way.
0: If you're okay with it, I want to take us into take a selfie if that's all right. Jason, as we talk about take a selfie, what I mean, I'm thinking kind of collectively here, but as a church, as a community of people following God, what should we be taking away from this, do you think?
2: Um yeah, I I mean there's there's not much you can take away and you know, and that may be I mean, it's it's kind of like what Michael was just just saying. I think um, you know you mentioned the period between what we call the Old Testament and then the New Testament. You know, um, uh, Jewish uh, Hellenistic literature. Uh, you know, this period when when Greece was um, uh, in in charge. Uh, there, there was a lot of this speculative literature written, um, like say Enoch, um, uh, it, for, for those of you who saw the Russell Crowe Noah movie, uh, you've already had an interaction with the book of Enoch. That's, that's the, the story of the flood that the director and the writer was telling. Um, but it's, you know, e- Enoch, if you don't remember, is in Genesis 5, one name among a list of names of people who have died uh, who didn't die. He was taken, as the text says. And so there's a thought like, well, okay, who would know what it's like in heaven? Well, Enoch, he's the only one we know of, you know, besides Elijah, maybe Moses, who hasn't died. So there's this very long <laughs> books written uh, in as if Enoch wrote them, and Enoch, gives the reader a tour of heaven and the powers and the the things going on in the heavenly realms and while those aren't um, those aren't considered to be scripture uh, you know that makes an appearance in like the 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 Enoch specifically makes an appearance in Jude and second Peter um but there, it's almost like if you speculate too much, like Michael was saying, you can you can really get yourself into to more trouble and kind of play into the hand of the whole idea, you know. Like it, become entrenched and obsessed with the unseen world, um, and I think I think prayer seems to be in Scripture the church's uh, response, and it's the most appropriate response. Um, because we're liable to imagine that there, that, we're, you know, there isn't this, uh, uh, that, that reality is and, and terminates with our vision and our, you know, five senses. Um, I, I remember Fleming Rutledge telling a story about a woman who drowned her children in a lake um, and on the, on the, she said on the, on the newspaper the next day, it said the face of evil, and it was a picture of this mother. And she said, you know, the challenge for us is to realize that that's not the face of evil. That's a pathetic creature who was co-opted by evil, uh, that ev- evil uh, stands at a, at, a, at a much higher level uh, and has power in our lives and in the world around us at, at a level we can't quite get at. So the church finds itself, in one sense, needing God's help. Um, and yeah, we can, we can respond to when we see those powers at work, uh, we can identify it and turn to God. Um, but I think the most practical is to not become overly obsessed with what we can't know and um, and but to know that it exists and therefore be prayerful, which again, I say prayer is the takeaway for most of the applications on these podcasts. Uh, but my question would be do we do it like do we get together and pray like that or or, or not? Um, because I, I think I think this truly is, um, it's why churches split, right? Especially with all the political upheaval in our country, like uh, we just think it's people, we, we're angry at people. Uh, but the challenge is to see, like, oh, this is something d- bigger and deeper. We need to pray. We're being, we're being used by the powers right now. Um, so, yeah, alertness. He says, "Open the eyes, open their eyes." So, I think a, a prayer for alertness is huge.
0: Michael, thoughts on take a selfie, and I think it kind of breeds into kingdom come as well. But I'll let you yeah. take over.
1: Yeah, I love, I love what Jason just said, and. I'll, I'll build on that. And I think, you know, he, he mentioned watchfulness. Well, well, who is being watchful here? Yeah. Paul is praying for the people of God as a, as a collective, as a group to be watchful. Um, he praises them for their love for all God's holy people and then says, now as, as a group, are you realizing this? I hope you realize these things. And I think for us, as we look at our, at ourselves, one of the things that we can miss in what Paul is doing is because we are Western and we are so trained to read as individualists that we, we miss the collectiveness of this battle. This is, the powers and authorities working through the the empire, the culture around them, uh, and then the God who has placed all His fullness for our benefit. He, you know, this is what Paul says: He raised Jesus from the dead for our benefit. He's filled the church with His power for our benefit. He's given us the tools. Um, to combat the effects of the powers and authorities as, as a collective. And so this is where this becomes important. If we reject the idea of the powers and authorities, or we just don't pay attention to it, uh, as Paul will emphasize over and again in this letter, then we start to think that the, the only aspect of the spiritual battle that we're fighting is personal moral failure. Like that's the sum total of sin is our personal moral failures. And so then the solution to that is sin management to no longer have that personal moral failure. And the gospel that we start to to preach and, and tell, is you can be saved from that personal moral failure, and you can be forgiven of it. And the power of following Jesus is that you will no longer have these personal moral failures. Um, and that as an individual, you can be forgiven, you can go to heaven, you can be free of those things. That's all true. But it's only half the story. The other half is that we are—we have become blinded to in the West, in the United States of America—is the powers and authorities are there. There are fallen systems, structures that go beyond just individual sin, right? And so, so, so—for example, um, the percentage of Americans. Today, who take personal negative action towards somebody because of the color of their skin or dislike somebody and see them as lesser because of the color of their skin, it's way less today than it was fifty years ago or hundred years ago or two hundred years ago, way less. and we could say, who well that battle's been beaten? No more racism. But if you look at the the work of the powers and authorities to establish cultures and structures and systems that create inequity based on that, you no longer need the the feeling or the mindset that somebody's in fear because of the color of their skin. The inequity has been built in. And if you deny that the powers and authorities work and you deny that there are these systems and structures, then you will keep the injustices and the inequities of that mindset from 200 years ago will continue to multiply today and continue to have impact today. That's just one example. You could give 50 examples. And so when we reject the idea of systemic evil, um, we miss the fact that, yes, all that stuff about personal moral failure, but half of the doctrine of sin then, in a sense, is also... Be aware of the powers and authorities and their influence through culture and systems and inequities and injustice, and it's all over the Bible. And so we must embody that together as a people. I can't do that by myself. We must become a different sort of people that wipe out those inequities, that wipe out those superiorities and inferiorities and those injustices and wipe out all of the effects that the powers and authorities have, right? And so um, we need to do that. But I think we probably have a similar question that the readers of Ephesians chapter 1 might have, or as they hear Ephesians 1 being read for the first time, and and Paul is talking about he is, you know, he's far above the powers and authorities, and they're under his feet. The question that would raise in the mind of, I think, the original audience and ours is, where's your evidence for that, Paul? I know you said God has great power. Okay, that was in the resurrection. But what does that mean for us right now? Because right now, it looks like the powers and authorities are winning. I see their impact. I see the inequity. I see the injustice. I see the the conflict and division all over the place outside of the church and inside the church sometimes so where where is your evidence if the, if the powers and authorities are really defeated then what's the evidence that Christ has defeated them Paul won't get to that for a little while but I think he wants him to sit in that for a minute and and wrestle with that like wow what what is that because he's gonna hit him with a a real like Eye-opening gut punch that should wake them up to see the importance of the people of God, and so we've got to see that together—the importance of the body, the importance of how we live in response to God.
2: Yeah, and and that—and that—that's—that's, I think, our greatest challenge with this is to—to not notice the, um. The sweep of this—that it's—it's not just. Um, nor has the the life of faith ever really supposed to have been about me and my my sin. Um, that that's ultimately ultimately what needs to change, or that's where God's attention is. Just getting rid of my personal sin. I, I and and it's not as simple as like, well, when evil things happen within or outside the church, to say, well, the powers made me do it. Um, and that's, I think, what Paul's getting at, is that um, our awareness, our alertness to to notice when there's a there's a force uh, at work among us that that we need to be aware of and not be willing participants or blind, deceived, you know, sheep led to the slaughter, uh, just following along, drinking the Kool Aid, and it, it gives us. It gives us some agency, I guess, but it 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 it's it's that identifying when that stuff is at work that um, can really save people, people's lives. It can save people from greed and lust and exploitation and and all of the ways that this this happens. Um, and and to notice how the powers work, say for example, we could look at sex trafficking and see. Oh, yeah, that's the powers. We need to be as people of God against that. It's like, okay, but what about the fashion industry and the way women are presented? Like, are the powers, does the tentacles reach uh, there as well? Are are they connected? Um, And so I think um, it ends up being a very communal thing, but it also stretches into the individual's lives uh, to make decisions personally, um, to, to, and I love what Paul is doing. Paul sees it, uh, in part, at least, and he's saying, "I want you to see it." And I think there's some of that too for us, like to help one another out when it's like, "Look, we're we're being co-opted, we're being hijacked uh, by a a, 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 a <laughs> what's the word? A dark force." I feel like we're talking about Star Wars, um, but <laughs> but it's but yeah. So I mean, it's it, and I think that's that's the challenge for for me. Is we can um, we can really notice when it's dark and ugly and it's evil and it's from the demonic. Um, but what does what does Paul say about uh, you know the evil one masquerading as an angel of light? There's often times when mm-hmm. we've been anesthetized to the way the powers work and we just call it normal. You say well, that's just how things are. That's not evil. There you it's go. It's just the way. This is the way it is. So yeah, we gotta we gotta do our best to not be you know. Bang, be, be bad people. But, but at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, we, we, we high five the powers in many ways that, uh, I think if we were more dialed in, we wouldn't
0: mic drop,
2: mic drop from Jason. Beautiful. Awesome.
0: Well, great discussion. Any more points that either of you want to add before we wrap this one up?
1: Oh, gosh, I have a million, but we should probably stop here and we'll move on to chapter two next time.
0: So look ahead to chapter two and we'll be back talking about Ephesians. This has been the Icon Podcast. If you guys are loving it, that's all we want to hear about. Just kidding. If you want to send <laughs> us any comments, please reach out to us on Facebook or you can even email us at theiconpodcast at Gmail. Dot com. And also, we appreciate the Patreon listeners and everyone who's supported us so far. And uh, all the, the new stuff you guys are going to be talking about on there, Michael, that you mentioned at the beginning of this episode. I think I may have to become a Patreon person because... Uh, <laughs> Sounds interesting. Sounds exciting. Michael and Jason have great stuff coming your guys' way.
1: I'm I'm sure we can get you access to that. I
0: mean, I didn't want to ask, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been another great one. We look forward to talking with you all next week. This is the Icon Podcast. Catch you soon.